Jason, I hope you're ready to record a masterpiece of film analysis. If you edit that well, that's a, that's a classic. Are you a serial killer? I'm this way and that. I'm off the I'm off the beaten trail here. You can edit this out if you want, but I do know this, so I'll say it. Not everybody is as crazy as Keanu Reeves. What makes a scene great is when you can watch it again and again and again and again, and you can still see what's unique about it. And and it was our podcast that taught me that. Oh, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Jason. And I continue to be Max. <laughs> I'm I'm fucking hilarious. Um, on this on this week's episode, uh, we're doing Gunpowder Milkshake, made in the year of our Lord, 2021. And by our Lord, I mean Odin, or whatever Jason wants to make it it'd be. Directed by Navat Papushado, uh, starring Karen Gillian, Karen Gillian as Sam, Lena Headey as Scarlett, Scarlett Gugino, uh, or maybe it's Gugino? I don't know. It's an Italianish name. Do you know what it is? That sounds right, the second one you said. Okay, yeah. Gugino as Madeline, Michelle Yeoh as Florida. Lawrence, Angela Bassett as Anna May, and Chloe Coleman as Emily, who strangely on the IMDb list appears really, really almost as an afterthought. She's at the bottom with like the stuntmen and uh, guest starring Paul Giamatti as Nathan. I couldn't find much about the production of this film, really. Did you get anything? Uh, well, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, even though this is a Netflix release, mm -hmm. uh, this is the second kind of contemporary film that we've done on our podcast. And uh, for contemporary films, there's not always a lot of information yet it usually takes some time for yep. all that stuff to kind of to kind of finally be released or revealed but i mean the film was shot before the pandemic yeah uh, it was shot in 2019 so this is actually uh, a film that was in the can before the pandemic even began and then yep. was kind of held back a lot of the post-production i think occurred probably during the pandemic yep. and and was finally released on netflix after netflix um bought the the distribution rights they okay they were not behind the making of the film okay, I, I think they, the they just the main product well i mean i mean there are several uh, uh production companies that are involved there's a, a german company called babelsberg studio mm -hmm. it's been involved in a lot of stuff including the james bond movies by the way okay and but i think studio canal uh is kind of the primary uh production company behind this movie yeah and they're behind a lot of kind of smaller films yeah it's true days. absolutely yeah you yeah. see that studio canal logo on a lot of things it's not always a great sign that you're going to see a good movie but it's i mean they, they do a lot of good independent work it seems they they, 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 they help out smaller filmmakers and smaller films they are a bigger studio than you think yeah they, abso absolutely I mean, I mean they they actually they have a lot of pull yeah and so so i've heard that some of the stunt team or maybe the whole stunt team involved in the john wick films is involved in this it's a very different flavor of stunt work in the movie very true let me do a plot synopsis of the first act and okay. then we'll dive in so i have this all typed out audience and uh, I'll try to read it in as dramatic and wonderful a way as possible. So let me begin. Plot synopsis. Lena Headey's Scarlet is a talented hit person who makes a bad decision, or at least one that proves that the, uh, that the powers that be cannot look away from. As such, she must go on the run and leave her daughter to be raised, apparently, by a mafia middleman named Nathan, played by Paul Giamatti. The daughter Sam grows up to be the spitting image, at least professionally, of her mother. Thus, she is also an amazing hit person of great skill, 
and glorious repute, if somewhat impulsive. Her bedside manner, even by hit person standards, is atrocious. Would you agree? You Sam come up is all, all that? Hmm? So, uh, you write all of that? I did. I've written all this. That's Sam good. is already in hot water with her employers when she, when we meet her, uh, when when she bungles a job acquiring stolen funds from a low-level accountant who has embezzled them. The accountant, Sam learns only too late, has stolen these monies because some bad people have kidnapped his daughter. Sam learns this only after shooting the father, the desperate father. And so while her father is being cared for in a hospital a hospital dedicated solely to mafiosos and criminals in the nefarious underworld of this strangely colorful town, Sam hatches a plan to compete, complete the cash drop, get the daughter, double-cross the kidnappers, and get the money back. Her plan goes swimmingly until the final step when the whole thing goes tits up as she is accosted by her co-workers while the kidnappers engage in a bunch of double-crossing of each other. Uh, the failed final step in Sam's plan leaves her with no money, no allies, and her mafia utterly exposed and towing a little girl named Emily. The rest of the film is about Sam and Emily trying to get out of their dire situation. They cannot skip town yet without getting Emily's father, and that leads them back to the mob-dedicated medical facility, where Emily's father is recovering? All right, Jason, have I accurately synopsed the first act of the film? Uh, yes, you have. Now, what would you like to explore in this space that I've just created rather delicately, dramatically, skillfully? Quite. <laughs> What do you want to say? Well, I mean, I, I guess to, to to kind of start with, to talk about the, the style of film, mm -hmm. to anybody who has either seen this movie or is thinking of seeing this movie, and maybe maybe you've read a little synopsis, maybe you've read a, a, a mini review, there are a lot of people that have been saying that this is kind of, kind of a knockoff of John Wick, which you just mentioned, the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, stunt yeah. performers from John Wick. So I watched this about one and a half times. Mm -hmm. I, I, I watched it straight through, yep. and then I went back back and watched key scenes again yep. for um to look at shot composition and uh, to listen to dialogue yep. i i do think that this movie does attempt to i would argue that it that uh, visually and in terms of aesthetic i think it tries to mimic a tarantino feel more than it does a john wick feel i think that's that's fair and uh... It's almost going too far, I think, in terms of when you say Quentin Tarantino, I think sometimes you think of like people think of this dramatic way in terms of the musical score and the composition of the the songs. This film definitely has that kind of that hip Tarantino musical feel. I, I like that. I liked a lot of the musical choices in this film. As did I. They, they pair very well with whatever's going on on screen. But the other thing I got out of this is I was watching the opening of the film uh, and, and kind of some of the action scenes, which are pretty minimal in this first act. The it's a very very colorful movie in a way yes. that John Wick wasn't. John Wick is noir and so everything's muted. This is almost like a cartoon of an action movie. I, I'm not yeah. saying that as a criticism either. I, it, it's an interesting choice, but you notice that there's a very deliberate use of color. It, it almost reminds me of audiences, audience, nobody will remember this and it's too bad that you won't. Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy. This film reminds me a little bit in terms of just Ooh. a really aggressive. Uh, yes. Yeah. I would not really have aggressive, that. Really thoughtful color palette. Yeah. Um, yeah. The colors are very bright, except when the film sometimes doesn't light itself well. There are a couple scenes where I would have been, I was like, I'd like to see a little more of the scene. Uh, okay. Uh, it, it, that, that doesn't happen as much in this film uh, as in other films, but there are a couple moments where I think, ah, give us a little more light so we can see a little bit more of what's going on. But but that's 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 pretty minimal for this film. But I, 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 I mentioned it because I noticed it and maybe some of you guys will too. But so this film almost like John Wick is sort of pseudo-realism. Yes. This film doesn't feel 
feel like it's trying to engage in any kind of realism necessarily. I I, I agree. I, I and and actually those people that have compared it to John Wick, and I, I can't remember if I've run into anybody that has said that this was kind of Tarantino flavor. Mm. I think it's somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, compare it to something like uh, Kill Bill. Yeah, and, and not and and I'm not I'm not bringing up Kill Bill because it has a, a, a female star. No, no, no. Uh, I'm, that's not why. Kill Bill is Tarantino at his most outrageous. Yes, yes. It, 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 it's it's almost a comic book film. Well, it's um, it's that, and it's like kind of this ode to all of the kind of seventies action films he loved. Yes, yes, and and I feel that um, Papa Shado, the 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 director, he's from Israel. Yeah, yeah. And and who and who wrote the film? So I yeah. mean, this is the, you know, I mean, I mean, this is a, the artistic vision of one person. I think what they're going for is is kind of that that violent Tarantino world mm -hmm. that is very intense. Yeah. But you're but you're also kind of aware that well, this isn't really the world that we inhabit. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, you can go through any Tarantino film. It kind of takes place in our world, but it's yeah. not a world that we've ever been to. No, no. Well, uh, and, and and Kill Bill, I think, is a really nice comparison because in terms of like, I guess, film families, this film certainly fits in in with that kind of surreal, unreality, not quite real. You know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah, kind of yep, place. Yep. Because you you remember the scene where uh, in Kill Bill, when the bride gets on a plane to Japan, yeah, and everybody has katanas by their seat. I mean, this is preposterous. <laughs> nonsense right um, but it's great it's yeah. great it's absolutely great and so like it's something that couldn't happen in the world of Reservoir Dogs it's something that couldn't happen in the world of even Pulp Fiction which Pulp yeah. Fiction is just at the wild edge of, of of the human world in a major American city you know what I mean it's right right nothing I'm, not, I'm sorry nothing that happens in Pulp Fiction couldn't happen in real life yeah yeah nothing that happens in Kill Bill could happen could happen in real right life. this is almost a cartoon of an action movie Gunpowder Milkshake which which so far is not a criticism no no i liked that mm -hmm. I, I i liked the uh, the visual aesthetic of these early scenes mm -hmm. in, in the synopsis that you read uh i i was totally on board and i caught i caught a whiff a scent of the tarantino kind of uh kind of aesthetic and, and and i was like well i mean this is good if you're going to imitate someone these days you know you know or at least some someone in this kind of modern era yeah the guy that that i think is worth imitating so yeah. uh I, I i really liked that you mentioned the music it's very clever that, well We'll get that out of the way now. I I love the score. Uh, Frank Ifman, who I, I if I remember right, and I and I and I, I think that I do, is also from Israel. Okay, um, uh, the same as the director. And I I thought the score was really good. Now it is true that uh, I mean you kind of mentioned I think some of the Tarantino you know kind of flavorings, but he's really imitating Ennio Morricone. Okay. I mean, and in some that was places, Tarantino. correct. But in some places, it's almost explicit. There okay. there are actually a few cues that are from the, the the man with no name trilogy okay but 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 more than that more than that because audience i i love uh ennio morcone uh in his music a lot he's one of a, a very small number of film composers that i'll go to youtube if i'm working on something not grilling which i which is what i always say but but if i'm if i'm typing on a computer or i'm doing some work and i need some non-vocal music i will go to a uh, a playlist of ennio morcone's music and you will get action cues you will get kind of 70s uh, romance scores. He, he did the mission. You know, 
you'll get a I lot of that. I forgot that. There's a variety of really glorious music made by this man who I think is still alive. Well, he I just mean, did, I mean he just did the Hateful Eight. He yeah. uh let's see what was the last film he did. Oh, he's ancient. I mean, he he's in his 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got to be, um, but but he, he he's a he's a great artist, still still capable of making just wonderful music. But I think I think uh Frank Frank Ilfman really does a great job here and, and I think has a future because um there are cues where I thought, "Oh, okay, that's that's any Morricone he's doing there. And uh, then there's other moments where it's like, well, that's that's the same style, but that's not that's not I mean that's that's pretty original. That's very good. It's got a it's got a nice atmosphere to it and it works very well for the scene. I I, I you know, I'll, we get this out of the way in different places. I love the music in the movie a lot. It's great. I it's really, great. really loved it. Yeah. No, it's it, it adds to the atmosphere, it adds to the kind of cartoonish elements of the film. And up to this point, also so the first act, I mean it's 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 well shot through out i think you know it, 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 it's 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 beautifully it's kind composed of fun. yes yes it's beautifully composed now you said something like audience if you've seen this story before i mean if you've seen this movie before maybe they haven't seen this movie before but they have sort of seen this story before the story does not break new ground no no it doesn't so we've given you the synopsis audience the film is populated and this is something that i don't know if it helps or hurts the film it's populated with very recognizable idiosyncratic characters the film definitely wants to be somewhat offbeat I feel like did you get that sense so we told you that that our hero gets in trouble for botching a job and I have to say that this sequence where she is trying to get th- this actually made me laugh a little bit because it's kind of it's almost like a fable or, or, or something that would happen in mythology where she's going to get the money for this father who she's accidentally shot she's going to try and complete the mission for this dad right and she gets some henchmen Paul Giamatti sends some henchmen after her to give her a message. Now, some of the elements of this action beat don't work because I don't think that the the, the choreography of the henchman trying to teach her a lesson is actually very good in this scene. In fact, it looks kind of bad. In the bowling the bowling alley fight with her, I guess her her co-workers is what we would say. But her co-workers are all characters. And and by, by that, I mean they're really hamming it up. And sometimes this works really well, but the fact that everybody seems to be trying to put their massive thumbprint on each character is sort of weird I thought what did you think of this did, did you get this sensation too I I don't know if I got that sensation I like what you just said a mm. lot I definitely noticed a problem with the choreography yeah which now first time I watched it I didn't notice that because actually we talked about the composition you talked about the color yeah and I liked all of that oh the uh, the, the, the atmospherics of the bowling alley fight are amazing are, are, are beautiful yeah but you know I, I here I want to call into question some of the John Wick comparison and I want to use John Wick as an example for why this film in some of its elements doesn't measure up. Yeah. Longtime listeners or new listeners who are who are furiously plowing through our back catalog to get caught up will know that uh, I I think I can quote me almost exactly about John Wick that the, the, the violent scenes and the action choreography in John Wick despite being almost shocking is beautiful. Yeah. It is literally beautiful. Absolutely. And this film does not achieve that. I, now, you see, you're telling me that, that that some of the same people were involved, but actually, I'm glad you brought up the bowling scene. I actually rewatched that scene a couple times. Yeah. And one of the things that it does, I don't know if they needed to film it faster or if, but I don't think that's right. I think what I noticed in the action scenes, the action scenes actually needed to be edited better. Yeah. I think that, you know, as a director, Papa Shadow was very in 
intent on these shots where where everyone's in frame. Yep. You know, and, and you have these three guys and they're all attacking Sam and 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 they're trying to take her out. And we're supposed to believe, which can be done, yep. that she can take them all out on her own. Film does not sell that because if you rewatch the scene, scene, no, no. Well, and, but in some other ones later, I'll have more to say. But in this scene, you're right, especially if you watch it because everyone's in frame, it is very obvious that when she's attacking one guy, the other two are just kind of waiting their turn to attack her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is so obvious in a way that in a film like John Wick, it is not. Yeah. And and, and we haven't talked about, about any of the cast yet. The cast of this film is great. I, I, I actually, I, I love Karen Gillan. I think I might have mentioned uh, when we were talking about doing this film that, that she's my favorite, uh, as an actress, she's my favorite uh, Doctor Who companion. Now, which um, season was she in in Doctor Who? Which, who she was, was she, she with? She, she was with Matt Smith. Okay. Who was the uh, 11th Doctor. A lot of people's uh, favorite Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not not mine, though, up there. Not, uh, But up there. But she played Amy Pond, and she was she was fantastic. She's great as Nebula in the Marvel films. Actually, I, I think Karen Gillan is great. And she does everything in this role that I really want her, that I want from her. Yeah. I, I don't have her, I, I'm actually, I don't have a problem with the cast at all. I, I yeah. actually think the cast is great. Yes. I think that this scene in particular, it, it was a mistake. I mean, even though the composition is so beautiful, when you have you have all the characters in frame, you've got the kind of uh, is it purple lighting or yes, you know, it's it's it, this it, kind it, of purple reddish thing that's going on. Uh, it's really it, it's, it's really splendid. And these they're almost they're almost shadows moving in the frame because we see them, but they but they are also absorbing these colors. They they don't look like normal humans exactly. I mean, of course they are normal humans and and but you know what I mean. They they kind of take on the colors of of the of the the shot and the problem here and I agree with you the problem in this scene in particular is that I don't know if they if Karen Gillian didn't have time to train for this if they didn't have time to do better choreography because somebody who's famous for this sort of thing of course when you mentioned John Wick who who does the, who they do a lot of long shots yeah but everybody's always attacking him during these shots he's moving or creating space from people attacking while he's attacking somebody else people aren't waiting around to jump him um, yeah. another, another I, yeah an, another famous uh, person another person famous for this and another genre famous for this well Jackie Chan famously has long shots so you can see everything that's going on he's doing everything and people aren't generally waiting around to attack him everybody is trying to attack him and he's using the space of a room to create opportunities for him to be to evade but also to attack other parties in the in the giant fight but kung fu movies also do a lot of this and the best of them don't have people waiting around in the background for their turn right because that doesn't look realistic because if you have like if you have three people attacking somebody as we do in this scene in the bowling alley scene they you would just you they would just bum rush her unless the character is doing something to create the space the other thing that doesn't quite work is that they didn't think creatively because so so karen gillian's character brings a backpack full of money it's it's a, like almost like a hello kitty backpack and she does a lot of her fighting with this hello kitty backpack right in the scene and yeah. and they didn't think very creatively about how to do that so i mean like as much as i wanted this scene to work for me this part of it doesn't what happens after when the hit when the henchman so she defeats her co-workers she doesn't kill any of them and they're i actually think as i was saying that's like every actor is trying to put their thumbprint on their roles and be as quirky and weird as possible i do think these henchmen do a pretty good job for the most part being funny did you like their did you I, like I, their affect yes yeah. i i look actually i do not have a problem with any performer in this yep. i i i think that's absolutely fair before we depart this 
from this scene, I want to pick up from what you were just saying. You're making an action film. Everyone does not have to be Jackie Chan. No, absolutely. But, but as a director, you have to recognize that, okay, this scene, we want Karen to do this. Yeah. We need it to look real. Yeah. We need we need to use editing and cuts. Well, And maybe I can't do that shot that I want so badly. You can do it differently. Another, uh, to, to, to illustrate the point that Jason just made, I would submit all of the Jason Bourne movies. Yes. Matt, Matt all, Damon. They're all about editing. All about editing. Absolutely. Matt Damon will, will, will tell anybody in an interview, oh, I, you know, it's all about editing. They, they would, the stunt team looked at him and noticed what kind of things he was good at physically. And so they would, they would shoot the shot. They would shoot the fights in little bursts and get really close. Yeah. So you couldn't see where he might, where, where Matt, where Matt Damon, not a guy who is a, a, a martial artist or a guy who's trained to fight his whole life or who has like John, like Keanu Reeves decided, well, I'll just dedicate a year to learn all this stuff before we shoot right. the movie. Right. Not, every, right. not everybody is as crazy as Keanu Reeves. And they don't have to be. They don't have to be. Because as as the as the Jason Bourne movies demonstrate, creatively you can make your hero, you can make your actor look really good. And that's this, the this magic. Film, that's the magic of movies. Absolutely. You know? I mean, this does not penalize any any performer. No, absolutely. In any yeah, film. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 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 And I hope that I, it doesn't sound like I'm doing that. But no, like, it doesn't. No. The onus was on the director to say, okay, my actors aren't where they need to be to do this shot. If it was Michelle Yeoh right. and 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 the Hong Kong uh, troop that Jackie Chan works with, the, his stunt team, yeah, they could have made it work, right? But right. Karen Gillan isn't that person. So I think the onus was on the director to tighten that all up and and with editing, make it look better. Yeah, A lot of the comedy beats still would have worked and they would have worked better probably because you could kind of, you know, think of like Edgar Wright and, and Hot Fuzz. Right. You know, you can, you can use editing beats to really create laughs. And and like I said, and there are a lot. Of, I actually do think that there are some funny moments in this scene, even though the fight scene doesn't quite work. The funny mm. jokes in the fight scene, the what the way Ke- the the way Sam dispatches her coworkers, it, some of this stuff is quite funny. The scene is rescued for me though by by the by the thing that actually. Oh my god, the editing of the of the kidnappers double crossing each other illustrates exactly the point you were just making about how you could make how you could tighten all the editing up and make for funny, compelling yes. action. Because in my synopsis, I said I talked about how Karen was going. Uh, I'm sorry, how Sam was going to double cross the kidnappers and get the money back. That was her whole plan. But we get this funny double cross, triple cross, and then quadruple cross of these yeah. kidnappers killing each other, trying to get the money. And Sam's character going out and watching. She can't do anything. She's powerless to really intervene at this point. And these people kill each other and then accidentally grenade all the money that she was supposed to get up. And I tell you, the sequence and Karen Gillian's reactions as Sam are really priceless. I mean, I think that's, I think, I actually think this is really great filmmaking in this, in this scene after the bowling alley fight. I actually, so this is the thing is that actually this film, I, I am very mixed about a lot of the elements because I, I kind of sense from what you said, we might disagree as we go along because actually the problem that I had with, that we both had with the bowling alley scene, I had with most of the action choreography throughout the film. Okay. I, I liked the, now you just were talking about the comedy I I think a lot of the comedy is very smart uh, especially in the action scenes which is what you're talking about but there'll yeah. be another one in a, there'll be but another then, one in a second it's a different kind of action scene though than what we just saw yeah. it, it doesn't rely on long shots it, rec- it, re- it relies on clever editing clever acting by these henchmen yeah. I mean I think it's all glorious stuff and yeah. I think that I think that that action beat 
which is tighter, more confined, is better than the bowling alley fight. Yeah. Did you like that scene? Did you think that the scene, that the close of the first act, this this scene with the, the kidnappers betraying each other, was that better than the bowling alley fight? Or did it have the same problems? No, yes, I, I it was better. And, and and so, you know, the first time I watched this movie through, I had I had very few problems with it. Yeah. I really, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I really enjoyed it. I had fun. And then I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to be talking about this movie. What, what did I like about it? And that's yeah. what that's what made me go back, rewatch a lot of the scenes, and uh, to really kind of piece together what I really liked, and also notice what I chose to ignore no. that I didn't like. No. But, but the humor, and 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 in fact, um, I want to say that even at the end of the bowling alley fight, mm-hmm. when she takes out one of them, the scene is very well edited. It's very quick, and it yeah. looks, it's got a lot of energy, and is very real. Yeah. Whereas the rest of it, which is just kind of one shot, and it's just it's just like a like a dance and exchanging partners. Yeah. It just doesn't work at all. Now, if they had been more deliberate in that exchanging partners dance idea, mm-hmm. interpreting a fight in that way, that could have been quite fun too. But it's not. Yes. It, it doesn't lean into that really. It's um, not what they do. It's not. It's not what he chose to do. No. No. So okay. So that takes us to the hospital where Emily. So sorry, Sam now has this Emily girl in tow. She has to go get Emily's father. They go to the mafia hospital and it's there that she informs her former father-ish figure, stepfather, foster father, caregiver. <laughs> I do like the way Karen Gillian, Gillen gives these lines. Oh, there's no money. It's destroyed. <laughs> and and Paul Giamatti. I think Paul Giamatti is pretty good in this movie. Um, I, I, well, no, I think he's great. He's, I mean, I, 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 you're right. Every actor in this film actually does quite a good, good bit of work. And when he, when he conveys to her, he's like, well, you know, there's nothing I can do for you. You're on your own. People are going to be coming for you. And Karen Gillan, as Sam, she takes that pretty well. She kind of expected this, I think. She was already on a short, she was already on everybody's shit list in the, in the organization. We get that sense. But now they've taken away her badge. This is, this is the scene that in a police movie, they would demand her badge and her gun and she'd be suspended. That's right. That's right. But, yep, yep. but since she, since this movie is actually about the other side of the law, they're just going to kill her. While this is going on, though, uh, the henchmen who she busted up are also at the hospital getting treated. And they the, the hospital is, uh, is administered by a guy who really likes to partake of his own laughing gas. Yeah. This actor, let me, let me, let me find his name here. I, I didn't mention him in the cast and I really should have because he is a really great British comedic actor. Um, um, he's in a lot of things. He's in one of my favorite British television series called Spaced. And his name is Michael Smiley. He's been in all okay. kinds of stuff. You would recognize him right away. And he's he's really, really funny in this. But he's he's, he's always engaging in, he's always, in, you know, uh, partaking of his laughing gas. And when he meets these henchmen, they've also taken his laughing gas. And this is sort of a scene that apes uh, Ant-Man after the guys have gotten the uh, truth serum. But with, yeah. in this case, it's with laughing gas. And so everything good or bad is really funny to the henchmen and they're pretty funny he's pretty funny and they learn that they have to kill Sam this actually might be my favorite scene in the whole movie it, it, it is a great scene um, um and, and, and well I mean but I want to touch on this just that little character uh, just that little character flourish of you know this doctor that is addicted to his own laughing gas uh he he uh he'll hook anybody else up you know <laughs> and um I uh, and and actually I think the comedy beats in the action scene that is to follow Oh, yes. Uh, are just a lot of fun. I think that this scene helped me get past the bad fight scene in the last, in yeah. the bowling alley. This is actually yeah. a pretty well 
composed fight scene. It's very funny. And, and so, so what happens is the doctor, they all realize they can make some money here. And the doctor's like, well, I'll go in and I'll paralyze our arms with this injection, which I didn't watch this with my wife, uh, luckily, because my wife is a doctor and she would have said, that doesn't work. That doesn't happen. Sometimes you don't want to watch them. It's, folks, if you have a physician spouse, sometimes there are movies you don't want to watch with them. I remember we were watching Doctor Strange and neurosurgeon Doctor Strange and his neurosurgeon partner were doing an operation and Jessica, my wife said, why aren't they wearing masks? <laughs> you know, and so this is the kind of thing that you have to deal with when you're married to a physician. No, that wouldn't work. No, they would die. Anyway, it's it's a constant trauma in my life. Well, but, well, and she also she also demonstrated that James Bond could not survive uh, <laughs> by 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 just being defibrillated and you know right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's a it's a it's a trial, everybody. It's a trial. <laughs> but 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 the doctor is going to give her an injection. It's going to paralyze her arms. He manages. It. Oh, by the way, audience, the father of Emily is dead. Yes. Now we don't know if that is a product of the doctor's poor medical skills. We get the sense that this isn't the this isn't a top notch doctor necessarily. Yeah, but he he was shot pretty. I mean, I mean he and he was also shot pretty badly. Like I said, this wasn't something that our hero wanted to do to the guy. She wasn't tasked with killing him, but he tried to stop her from taking the money, and she shoots him in the process of that. And then she learns that 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 he was trying to help his daughter. But Sam knocks the doctor out, and then realizes what's about to happen to her arms, and she tells Emily, I need your help. And Emily tapes two scalpels to her hands. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So then Sam goes out to meet the henchmen who are still addled by the laughing gas. One of them is bound to a chair. I mean, like a rolling chair because he can't quite walk right now. Right. It's the big, the big fat guy who is, I don't remember the actor's name, but he's a big guy and he's really, really wonderful in the scene. And in all the scenes that he's in, this, this is going to be wrapping up his involvement with the movie. <laughs> Yes. But they have this kind of comedic fight where, where Sam has to use the momentum of her hips to get her arms moving. And these guys are trying to kill her. As each one of these henchmen gets killed in the process of trying to kill Sam, they all find it pretty uproariously funny as the, yeah. as, as the process is happening. Um, and it's kind of violent. It's, it is a step up from the bowling alley fight scene. It's all pretty clever. I had a lot of fun with this scene. Yeah, well, I mean, because she's also doing this kind of windmill thing with her arms. Yeah, yeah. She, she has no control over any of her uh, of either of her arms, and so I think that just the the situation and and that kind yeah. of goes to something that I want to say about this film. This film is almost absurdist throughout. It's not. It doesn't. It's not. It's not heavily absurdist, but there is an unreality to this film that really does help sell yeah. the thing. I see. I agree, and I like that. I I don't want to say that the scene is successful only because it leans into that, though yeah. it does. Yeah, because it, it, it's that I think this scene is better executed yeah oh yes, than, yes. Some, than some than some of the other ones. i would i would really enjoy i mean if, if ever we get a chance to do this i would really enjoy talking to either the director or the actors or some of the stuntmen in in how this came about because i i do think actually well i'm not satisfied with all of the action films after this. I would be curious to know if that that bowling alley scene was an early scene that they worked on. W were the actors not quite trained up enough or did they not have a lot of lead-in time for that scene? I would be curious as to why that, I mean, not th I'm not going to say that the bowling alley scene is an outlier because there's some other stuff that happens late in the film that I'm not wholly satisfied with. But it is the worst action scene in the film, the bowling alley fight. That, there's no doubt of that. And so, so I, would, I would really like to know, was this an early scene? Or or was this a scene that that was shot late that they didn't have time to do a lot of rehearsal for? Someday we may know. The, the thing is, is that Navo Papuchado, the director.
director uh, has not done a lot. Is a very is a he's a very young director, and, and and in spite of what we're saying, I think he shows a lot of promise. He also co-wrote the film. Yeah. Down the road, if he becomes the next Spielberg, uh, we might be able to interview him about this. This might be seen as his duel because because there's a lot of promise in this film, but there's I think there's also some mistakes, and I think yeah. that's what we're talking well, about. Well, we talked about this a little bit last time when we talked about Outlaw Josie Wales as 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 when we're seeing these these new promising film directors they sometimes lean heavily into the moves I, other filmmakers I have thought made. Of that. No, I I thought about that. I thought about Outlaw Josie Wales while I was watching this and what you had said because I think that you 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 were bothered more by the you know channeling John Ford that Clint Eastwood did. <laughs> uh then I mean I you were right. You're totally right, but it wasn't as distracting to me. Yeah. Sometimes it was distracting here and and I have a specific reason for why I think it was distracting that I'll get to in a second. I do think there's a lot of imitation in this film. Now, I don't know if anybody who's watching this film in 2021, I don't know how many people in 2021 are going to notice what we notice with this movie. Because there's a lot of, like you said, leaning on the creation and moves of other directors. I mean, there's a lot of John Woo in the last act. I will be very curious as to your perspective on that, because I have I have definite thoughts on some of the uh, some of the slow motion uh, choreography. Yes, yes. And so, so, so this one, this guy does that a lot. For me, I think the reason to, to hearken back a little bit to Josie Wales, you and I, prior to doing this podcast, have discussed and watched a lot of John Ford, and we've yep. discussed John Ford. So when I would see those moves in Outlaw Josie Wales, I was just like, well, that's Clint Eastwood doing John Ford. But but what I want to talk about here is, is that you can kind of see this happening. I'm sure that Steven Spielberg did this when yeah. I, I'm just not necessarily a, a student of thrillers enough to see what he was doing in Duel that was leaning on previous was leaning on say Hitchcock or some other great yeah. you know thriller director and, and he was yeah he was and so so this isn't a this isn't this actually isn't a criticism of Papa Shada yes, yes this is just noticing this is a young filmmaker finding his own voice and if you watch a lot of films you can you see him in real time finding his own voice right and, 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 and showing and, a lot think, of, and showing a lot of promise showing a lot really. of promise so 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 absolutely so I think we have to forgive some of this right but what what isn't forgivable is turning out bad shots so even if you're going to do so even if you're going to do john ford even if you're going to do john woo it can't suck yeah. you know <laughs> so yeah okay guy you, you you've seen some john woo movies but if you don't have the actors who can do it yeah. then don't do it or if you don't have the editors who can make it look like they can do it don't do it yeah but yeah. anyway i'm off the i'm off the beaten trail here this scene is very funny it's very good of course sam gets out of the hospital with her uh with her <laughs> It's pretty clever. Um, and then we get sort of a boilerplate car chase in a parking garage as she's trying to get away with Emily. By the way, everybody, I want to I want to kind of highlight this actress who plays Emily. She really good, yeah. she is so good. What was her name? She's, she's like not in the Chloe is, Coleman. Like if you look at her CV on Amazon, Chloe Coleman is in everything, and she's going to continue to be in everything because she is a really splendid little actress. Um, she is in a very popular i think amazon prime movie called my spy with dave bautista she's in gunpowder milkshake she's in big little lies she's in avatar 2 she's in the, a new marvel movie called new warriors i'm sorry a tv series she's in a lot of stuff and and i think that this kid if she doesn't fall into the trap of all child actors of disaster if, if she goes the jodie foster way she's we're gonna see her in a lot of things if she goes the gary yeah. coleman way ooh, see you later but uh but the kid the kid is great in this film so 
Sam has to get Emily to safety. She has to get herself to safety. And after the hospital fight, it leads to kind of a garage car chase, stealthy kind of thing, which is quite clever. It's kind of fun. But we've yeah. seen we've seen this action beat before. We've seen it done better. We've seen it done a lot worse. But this is just kind of an average action beat. The thing that it helps to helps helps to do though is it helps to kind of develop the characters of Emily and Sam and their relationship. Um, and how how is Sam going to navigate helping this girl whose father she killed? That that's kind of the central moral drama of the film. Is that right? Do you think? Oh no, that's I mean that's totally right. That's yeah. total. I mean this film is really about Sam. You know she, she she's she kills people. She works for this firm, mm-hmm. but Emily and Emily's problem and the fact that Sam is the one that has created Emily's loss yeah. is just too much for her to process. Yeah, and 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 we get that yeah, because absolutely. I mean. Th- th- that is let I mean that's that's established in the first scene she misses her mother she yeah. feels deeply the loss of her mother and so Sam, Sam her, you mean yeah yeah that's what I meant yeah, yeah. yeah. and and uh, and so Sam Sam wants to her, her primary motivation is to kind of rescue Emily who she kind of sees as being her yeah when yeah. she was younger yeah absolutely I think they do a good job of demonstrating that Emily is actually a very smart child yes and yes. very very perceptive as as smart children can be and adapts um, very well to all of this. Yes, yes. I mean, that's the other kind of thing that's interesting that I hadn't thought about until you just mentioned it. Like, you know, Emily certainly demonstrates how resilient kids can be in, in even really terrible situations. But I think this scene in the garage leads to kind of a funny, one of our, another nice comedy beat when Emily asks Sam, are you a serial killer? <laughs> and Sam doesn't think that she is, though Emily does notice that, well, you know, you kill a lot of people. <laughs> You know, doesn't that qualify? And they don't get too deep into it because their their converse their, their philosophical conversation gets cut short by being chased by other killers. So this this leads to some clever bits of action, and then but Emily ends up Emily and Sam end up escaping to the library, yes. which sort of is a place where hit people, uh, hit men and women, go to procure weapons, to procure understanding. I don't know. Maybe there's a reference librarian that will talk them through certain <laughs> acts of violence. Violence, but it's run by three women, Florence, Madeline, and Anna May, played by the incomparable, I mentioned earlier, Michelle Yeoh, Angela Bassett, and Carl, uh, Carla Gugino. And these these women are, you guys might not know their names, but you recognize these faces. Angela Bassett was the mother of the Black Panther, uh, T'Challa, in the Black Panther movie. But she's been in all kinds of great movies over the years. Michelle Yeoh is an action movie staple. And even Carla Gugino, Gugino, sorry, I keep saying the wrong maybe or right both times she's been in a lot of action movies she's been in a lot of the films of Zack Snyder uh, Spy Kids well Spy Kid, right yeah yes she was in and yeah uh, Rodriguez what's the director I don't know Spy Kids and she's been in several of uh, Robert Rodriguez's other movies as well I think Go ahead. side trivia you can edit this out if you want but I do know this so I'll say it Carla Gugino uh, one of her big starts the Michael J. Fox sitcom Spin City oh, in the right. 90s began in the first season she was his girlfriend and that was that was originally the original pitch of the show that you know there was this political press secretary or whatever he was yeah. trying to have this love life and she was his his girlfriend yeah, yeah and and they wrote her out early okay so spin city eventually i mean almost very quickly became about you know other things altogether but the first season she was she was originally the co-star of spin city so obscure trivia i'm done folks i think it's important to 
leave this pointless trivia in because the life of the movie nerd and the comic book nerd and pop culture nerd is really to have a lot of this pointless trivia knocking about in one's head and we need to celebrate it every time it happens so in its days okay no uh, well, she's a wonderful actress and I always like seeing her in film she's really wonderful in Spy Kids but she she's also kind of a fearless actor she does a great she has a great little moment in the Marv vignette of the first Sin City movie with Mickey Rourke uh, right. she, yeah, she, hangs yeah, out, yeah. she hangs out with Marv but she's great in it and I mean she's great in everything that she does I think she, she's <laughs> she's aged she's actually a little older than us is she really and, uh, yeah. yeah she she actually I don't think she's aged a day in 20 years <laughs> one of the things I like about this film and and <laughs> As I get older, I, I'm uh, in the neighborhood of 47 audience. I do like the fact that Angela Bassett, Carla Gugino, Gugino and Michelle Yeoh are all badasses in in within 10 years of our age range, I think, right? Sure. And it's kind of nice to see older actors kicking ass and representing the ass kickers of the world, you know? I, I said, well, the, the, I could do, I could, I could do that. I'm not as sexy as Michelle Yeoh, but I could, I could get out from, there and do from the yeah, from the 40 something. Crowd, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice bit, and and I suppose too, and I haven't seen anything online about this, but you know, as one of the things that you hear about Hollywood, and there's a knock on Hollywood, is that like parts for women over forty are not great. So seeing something like this certainly is 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 reaffirming to those actresses and and actors even who who are are worried that they're going to age out of leading person status. But man, I would watch I would watch a movie about Madeline, anime, and Florence. All day, I would, I would I would watch a spinoff movie about those three, and not just because their action scenes are better, but but yeah, I, I mean I like those characters, and but anyway, they run the library. These these three amazing women and women, I certainly Michelle Yeoh, of course, I, I've had a crush on since the early nineties because of her turn in Super Cop. <laughs> the cop that won't stop, uh, which is a Jackie Chan feature that's that co-starred Michelle Yeoh, and Michelle Yeoh is also a Bond girl. But uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow never dies. Tomorrow never dies. But a, a very capable Bond girl, which isn't and always film, common. And, and a film that has aged very well. I didn't like it when it first came out, and it's... me either. But no, I I I am totally I'm totally on board with that. It has aged well. But these women suddenly recognize Sam as somebody that they sort of know, right? Yeah. They they think that they know her, and they're going to give her shelter even though that that puts them in the crosshairs of the bad guys as well all right all right moment. so audience i made a mistake uh while jason and i were replenishing our fluids and by that i mean getting more alcohol um not hydrating like sensible people i realized i'd kind of set us up wrong she doesn't go does she go directly <laughs> sorry i've crippled jason uh with some of my masterful humor here i'll let him swallow his gin and we'll get <laughs> and so jason correct me here a little bit does she go does sam do sam and emily go to the library before or after they they go to meet the package that paul giamatti's nathan sends her like after 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 sam's bungled it all nathan says to her i can't protect her anymore and then he texts her i left a package for you here and i think that sends her to her mom right now does that happen before or after they they get to the library i don't remember you've seen this movie one and a half Um, times i've only seen it once i think they go somehow their mom ends up with them so sam's long 
lost mom appears in this film. Apparently, she's never left the city. She she gets the text from him, and she goes to the location, and that's where she that's where she runs into Scarlet. Yeah, yes, Scarlet. But I but but I think I think but I think she went to the library first. Okay, because the first time that they go to the library, her mother's not with her. Yeah, and and in fact, they don't know her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like they have some inkling that they that she looks familiar, folks. There's no reason for them to think this. Uh, Karen Gillian, uh, Karen Gillan, and uh, I keep adding an A to this or an I to this name. What is her name? Karen Gillan. Karen Gillan. I, I keep adding an I to her name. And Karen, I know you're a longtime listener. I just want to apologize. <laughs> For that, for that continued sin, but but they look nothing alike, nothing alike. So that they would, you look familiar. Maybe they, maybe, I, you know what? I'm being too hard on the film here. Maybe they recognize Sam, and they're not seeing a resemblance between the mother. Because, they, because they saw Sam when she was. Yes, young. yes, yes. Yeah. Now, so I'm, I'm being too hard on the film. Well, you're being too hard on the film, and now I'm going to, you know, while you ease up on the film, I'm I'm going to to continue to to, to press on the on the criticism button, and I. I actually, it was during this library scene mm-hmm. that I, the first time I watched it, and I and I think I'm still convinced of this, but I'm going to give a specific reason for it. I'm going to give a qualification. I, for the most part, am not crazy about the dialogue in this movie. And and, and now, but I, now I am going to qualify it. I am going to qualify it uh, because, I mean, uh, the movie is funny and it's got a great cast. There's a couple reasons why I question the dialogue, and it actually began with this scene. And I think it began with this scene because here are all these performances performers which except for little emily i knew all of them yeah and i wasn't happy with it okay and so i asked myself what's wrong why am i not happy with this i felt that the uh these ladies were not comfortable with the lines they were given okay and i think that i don't blame them now here's where the qualification comes in part of me feels like that i might be being too hard on the movie Mm -hmm. because this film is such a, a a a um an attempt to channel Quentin Tarantino. And who writes dialogue better? than Quentin Tarantino. You make that, a good point. That visually, when you have all of these scenes that are gorgeous to look at, and you have these action scenes, and good action comedy, yeah, yeah. almost dark comedy, that when you suddenly get a, a, a series of lines, and you've mentioned some lines that were good, but when you suddenly get a, 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 a series of lines that don't work, it, it sticks out in a way that it wouldn't if this movie wasn't trying to channel Tarantino so well. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a bizarre example star trek 5 the final frontier and 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 um and it's and it's not the dialogue that i'm going to critique about that film star trek 5 is a bad film and just one of the things that are bad about it or that is bad about it is that the special effects are terrible now they're not that terrible in a lesser film in in a low budget film a lot of those effects would have been fine Mm -hmm. but up to that point the star trek series had done such a great job even in its cheap films of having convincing special effects that star trek five stuck out as having just really horrendous special effects and i uh, you know i i'm this way and that about that movie i think it's a bad movie though i kind of like it however i'm very aware that a lot of my critique is i'm comparing it to what i've seen that is like it yes you know i can watch a sci-fi film with bad special effects and if it's not star trek or star wars yeah or you know or Battlestar Galactica, you know, i mean insert whatever sci-fi franchise you want to I'll probably be more forgiving. This
this film goes out of its way to try to channel John Wick, to try to channel Quentin Tarantino. And I actually think that it's something that I like about the film, but it the film pays a cost to that because it you have to compare it to those movies. Your br- I mean, your brain just goes there. You can't help it. And so when I, I think that there's this, um, there's this series of lines in which the, the ladies at the library are, are using foul language and, and Karen has to kind of, or Karen, Sam has to kind of redirect them because, well, we've got this kid, you know, virgin, virgin ears or whatever. And it's just too cutesy. It, it, it doesn't mesh. I, I, I don't think... I don't think the dialogue is good. Maybe, maybe even throughout the whole film. But in this scene, it really stuck out to me as being like, okay, this this is not Quentin Tarantino writing this screenplay. No. Um, the first thing that comes to mind in reaction to what you've just said is this. Well, don't just stand there. God's a busy man. <laughs> Which is a line from Star Trek V. Star Trek V, yeah. Which is a line that has stuck out to me since that film came out. I guess it was a good line then. <laughs> I, I mean, no, I, I thought or it was a like, really bad line. <laughs> I, I I think it was a good line. I, for some reason, I really... Audience, uh, sorry, maybe it's the whiskey talk and, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I really like Star Trek V. <laughs> I know nobody does, but... <laughs> I really kind of like it. Well, there's one for uh, uh, Max and Jason watching movie greatest hits. That's that, that, that will be in, in in a montage of our best lines. That's right. That's right. But you no, know, I, I I do think you're right about this scene, though. In that when you're homaging or aping a, a a great style, you have to nail it or at least achieve some parody with it. And and especially if you have performers like this. Absolutely you do. And this is one of those times where you kind of wonder what happened, but the fudge this and the fudge that going to yeah, the... Yeah, oh, I, know, I didn't like any of that. No, no. Yeah. And the scene didn't... I, this, I'll be honest, the scene didn't bother me as much as it bothered you, obviously, but it did bother me a little bit. But for me, I just kept thinking Angela Bassett and Michelle Yeoh are in a movie together. And I mm-hmm. and I just kind of sailed through that because I... I get that, yeah. As, as, a, as, a, as a fan of 90s action films and, and, and great films generally, I mean, they, they didn't just do action movies but Michelle Yeoh and Angela Bassett are like two actresses that I've watched for years and have loved for years and and Carla Gugino is somebody who I've always admired and so I, I really like just seeing these women and I, I thought Carla Gugino had uh, some of the better lines like when she when they're giving her new weapons and all of the weapons are hidden in these books yeah. and and she hands her I think a Sherlock Holmes book yep. which is thin and the, the other women look at her and she's like she might want to read something and <laughs> and and I, I think Carla Gugino has some of the better lines in this film. And that's a nice moment. But for me, I was able to kind of look past some of the, the inferior writing and, and kind of just, I, I like these actresses a lot. So it didn't bother me as much, but I do see what you're saying. Let me put my finger on the critique button a little bit. I didn't like that they didn't flesh out these women or their relationship with Scarlett. That's a, that's a very good point. I mean, and yeah. We, we get the sense that that Florence, who I think is played by Michelle Yeoh, and Madeline, who is played by Carla Gugino, are ready to let, let that water be under the bridge. Right. But, but Angela Bassett's Anna May isn't. And I want to know more about these, these women and their relationship with Scarlett. Because while it's supposed to be a pivotal moment for Sam, this isn't an important plot line in the movie. I mean, Sam right. and, and, and sadly, and I know that people want to make this kind of be 
an important moment. I, I, people who really like the movie think that this is really powerful stuff from what I've read on Rotten Tomatoes and some other places. But this is just not well fleshed out, the relationship between between Sam and Scarlett. And it, it almost doesn't matter. It almost has no emotional weight. Did, am I wrong about that? I don't think you're wrong about that. But see, I think that's why this scene as a whole, and I don't know, I mean, I mean, maybe a lot of the arcs of the movie, the reason it stuck out, you know, a second ago, I, I, I just stated that it was because, you know, when you're when you're imitating Tarantino, you better nail it yeah. and you better nail all the aspects because you're going to be compared with them. But it's not just that. It's the fact that, you know, you assembled this really, really, really talented cast. And I think that's another reason why, what you know, you're referring to kind of kind of some thin character development. Yeah, yeah. And I was referring to some dialogue that didn't work for me. But I think one of the reasons that sticks out is when you have this all-star cast, let's face it, the fact when it doesn't work, it sticks out. Yeah, I think it, so. It think really so. sticks out because well, it's, because it's all you, of a piece. Yeah. yeah well, well, because because well, we know what they're capable of. We've seen them in all these other things. Yeah. Whether it's an action film, whether it's a dramatic film, we know what they're capable of. So when they when we see them in these scenes, I think it heightens our awareness of just what they're being given. Mm-hmm. Look, they do a great job with what they're. They given. do. They do. I have a I have a hard time with what they're given, and I think in this film we're coming down very hard on Mr. Papashado and I don't want to do that because I know he's a young director yeah. but I, I think the flaws in this film really do go back to him almost all of them. and as you said I don't want to be too hard on him for that but I mean if you're a student of film if you see a lot of action films you're going to notice this and you're kind of especially if you're being compared to John Wick you're being compared to you're having a film compared to Quentin Tarantino then all that stuff's got to be really executed almost perfectly or people who do watch a lot of these films are going to be like oh he they're missing this they're missing that but but you know just as a person who likes good character development I want to know more about why Anna Mae is, is so loath to let go of her anger about Scarlett right. leaving the right. group because that's right. an interesting that's an interesting story arc to me and they don't they don't give it enough Angela Bassett and Lena Headey do a, do as good a job as the script allows and as the time allows I mean were Anna Mae and, and Scarlett lovers or is this like a bunch of sisters you know and like right, right. why did you you know why is Anna May unwilling to let this go in in Papa Shadu's defense he has created a lot of pretty interesting characters that I want to know more about so the question comes I, cause I like what you just said the question comes because sometimes when they imply a relationship yeah. that's enough for your imagination mm-hmm. to go to go running and you just you just named uh you know some possibilities mm-hmm. of what their relationship was like now I know just from talking film with you for a long time a lot of times that's enough yeah and and we don't want more i feel like what you're saying is that nothing that they give us is really 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 indicates anything or fires our imagination enough that it's not satisfying it's not satisfying i think that that's right it's not satisfying because the film sells us in the beginning this lost connection with the mother and how that's really profound and so like this isn't like the or the Gene Hackman film, The Heist or whatever it was, which was a uh, David Mamet script in which we know next to nothing about the characters and what little we do know about them is told through dialogue and character acting uh, and character action, right? They they speak in like sentences that are like punch combinations, right? They're short, crisp, and none of the characters reveal that much about themselves to us through exposition. Right. We understand them through their actions and the terseness of their 
their dialogue. This film is selling us something a little different that invites us to want to know more because, I mean, Angela Bassett is giving us some kind of emotional trauma. And the way the, the way they're, they're paying that out almost demands more exposition. I, I, I agree with you. It's not like... <laughs> This isn't a great film, but I love it. Escape from L.A. with Kurt Russell, uh, Snake Plissken. In in that film, Snake hooks up with his old criminal cronies, and there's a little bits of dialogue. We we get that that, that Snake was betrayed by by this person played by. I'm uh, oh, sorry, I'm gonna look it up, guys, because uh, I am mad at myself that I don't remember who this actress was. I'm gonna do something that I don't type in very often into my Google search. Escape from L.A. <laughs> All the way back from 1996. Pam Greer. Pam Greer. Pam Greer plays Hershey LaPalmas, who was originally Cleveland. Walker, I think. Um, I could be wrong about that. But anyway, she was she was his buddy. But and none of this matters. What I'm what I'm trying to say is that like we get some dialogue that indicates the past. It's done pretty well. It's done with minimal effort. And we don't need to know more. We don't want to know more. It doesn't matter. Somebody got betrayed by somebody. Yeah. We we know the story. What we're given in gunpowder milkshake between these women, the librarians and Scarlet, is something much deep deeper that I want to know more about. And that the script invites us to want to know more about. Now, if I knew that there were going to be more of these films, I would be less worried about this because maybe we'll learn more. But I don't think there's ever going to be a Gunpowder Milkshake 2. There is uh, there is talk about a sequel. Oh, wow. Already? Okay. Um, well, audience, Max was wrong. 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 Um, <laughs> doesn't happen often, but okay. Um, yeah, can we, can, can we put that on repeat when you... Uh, I will do that. I will put that on replete. <laughs> re- replete. I'll put that on repeat too. Um, but but I wanted to know more, so I was bothered by that. Um, and you're right, the dialogue isn't great in the scene. And, and bad dialogue never looks worse than when it's delivered by... Or never sounds worse than when it's delivered by great actors or actresses, yeah. you know? That's what, that's, and, that's what I'm saying, yeah. And, you know, if this had been Michael Bean playing anime, we'd be like, oh, that's all right. That's Michael Bean. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. And I love Michael Bean too, but... <laughs> Let's face it, the guy's not going to win an Academy Award. If it had been Arnold Schwarzenegger playing anime, you're fine with this dialogue. Yeah. Right? Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. No, I I, I, I agree with that because actually, I mean, actually you just mentioned Schwarzenegger saying it. It might actually have been funny. But, I mean, I think that there's there are great performers in this scene that should have been used better. Yep. And when they are not used better, it's noticeable. I think that's what you're getting at. Absolutely, absolutely. And so that leads to the assault on the library by by the army of bad guys that are coming to kill Sam and nobody cares about Emily. She's sort of an afterthought to the bad guys and right. until they realize that they can use her as leverage a little later on. And so this is a this is the big action beat of the film and it's really uneven. Um, okay. Not everybody's great in it. This is some of the elements where I was talking about is sometimes it's too dark. The Angela Bassett and Michelle Yeoh scenes, the Angela Bassett scene is too dark. It's not super well choreographed. The Michelle Yeoh scene is too dark and it's too close. Michelle Yeoh can still do these action scenes. It's kind of clear to me. You know, I know she's an older actress, but she can still do these action scenes and they should have widened the shot and made it a little lighter. The Carla Gugino scene is actually really good. It's pretty compelling. She takes Emily away and hides her in a a Eurovan by Volkswagen, which is one of my favorite vehicles. I've never been in one that has a Gatlin gun, so that's cool. But I think that's a really good... 
it's a really good scene and it's sort of got some dramatic weight to it. The main henchman that's leading the bad guys for one of our big bads is pursuing her. And so everybody else is just, what did you say when we saw the movie, the classic Academy Award winning Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman? <laughs> what did you describe the action scenes as? Uh, clearing boards. Clearing boards. And when Jason says that, he is he is basically talking about clearing levels of a video game. And, yeah. and so that's all the other characters are doing. There's really no dramatic weight to anything that happens. They want there to be some dramatic weight between Scarlet and Sam in their scenes. Because they talk, the, the mother and daughter are reacquainting, but it doesn't, that doesn't really work for me in this scene. Did, did it work for you? <sighs> Not not particularly. Yeah, it's not bad necessarily, but it's not heavy. Now, uh, the, the main thing that I noticed to see with Michelle Yeoh, I'm with you. I actually, I in fact, I didn't even think about her age. I guess that I I guess that uh, expresses very well that I think that she's aged well. Yeah. Because I didn't I didn't even think about it. But I was particularly disappointed in the fact that I didn't that, that we didn't get really anything substantive from her in terms of choreography. Yeah. When when we know she can do. It. Absolutely. When we know she can do it. And so I remember in this scene thinking, why did you cast Michelle Yeoh if you weren't going to use her? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I like her. I like her British Hong Kong accent as much as anybody. But yeah, like, yeah. like, but she can do so much more than that. She's a great actress. She's a great action actress. She can still do these scenes with the long shot. You don't have to move up close to her to hide. Um, well, I mean, look, I, I love Karen Gillan. Sorry, yeah. Karen. But Michelle Yeoh could could do this stuff better than Karen. Yeah. Why don't you let her do it? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so and so the Karen Gillan and Lena Headey fight is kind of leaning in a little bit to the John Woo aesthetic of what 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 people used to call gun fu, but it doesn't do that particularly excitingly. Yeah. And and then they have some like weird lines where where Scarlet says to to Sam, you know, I'm really proud to be killing people with you. And that it's, it's something like that. I I didn't I didn't get the line correctly. I might cut the line in, but it's not really it doesn't really matter because it, the line doesn't really work. I agree. And and some of this I mean and and I don't want to say that that the stuff that's that 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 Scarlet and Sam do in this next scene isn't fun a lot of times. It is, but it's somewhat derivative and it doesn't live up to to what it's trying to homage. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I don't know what I would have done as a director with uh Michelle Yeoh. Oh, I do know what I would have done with Michelle Yeoh. I don't know what I would have done with Angela Bassett. I keep thinking back to her in Stranger Days, where she where where we get to see her amazing physique in that. Angela Bassett had a, an amazing physique. She got into amazing shape when she played Tina Turner. But she was the enforcer in the movie Stranger Days for our hero. And I would have loved to have seen, I mean, they were kind of trying to give her some savage bits with the hammers. <laughs> she picks up hammers and like lays waste to some people. And I'm all about hitting somebody with a hammer. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think that they did her her justice in that scene. I I you know I think I would agree. And folks, I'm ready to sing the praises of anything Angela Bassett is in. So I've been I had argued for her to be Storm. I mean, I am an Angela Bassett fan. So yeah. so that this scene doesn't work. But let's go to Carla Gugino protecting Emily from an army of henchmen in a Eurovan. Yeah. That I thought was really compelling action. Yeah. And don't and so that goes back to this unevenness. Carla Gugino acting with it, the actress who plays Emily. Great actor 
actors working together. Carla Gugino, way, this is a really wonderful, gory little scene when she pops up with, uh, she puts the headphones on Emily, says, I've got to do something. And she pops up with the right. the Gatlin gun and just the film doesn't shy away entirely from what a minigun would do to people, you know. And it's done in the service of high action and, and action comedy. And it, this scene is really good. But then things start to go bad for Carla Gugino's character. And she ends up having that she runs out of ammo and there's just one person left and that's the main henchman. And she has a really compelling, very harrowing, I think, knife fight with the henchman. Yeah. And, we, and as the audience, I mean, this was actually great filmmaking. And when our heroes, when our other heroes find Gugino, we've, we realize that she didn't win the fight. Mm-hmm. And that was that was kind of a surprise to me. Were you surprised by yeah. that? No, um, I, yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. You know, uh, and so so the bad guys got Emily and it all comes back to, so so the bad guy takes Emily and they knew that they can do, they can use Emily to get Sam to the location that they needed to go to. Because at this point, Paul Giamatti's Nathan has sold her out to the rest of the mob. He sold her out to a guy who really wants to hurt her for killing his son yeah. in an earlier job in the film that we only see the tail end of, which is why she was in hot water to be to start with. And, and this guy has now got carte blanche to do whatever he wants to her. So now he has Emily and they bring her back to the diner where the film starts, where Scarlett had to leave her yep. in a bloody gun battle. There's a nice circularity to the story here. And Sam says, all right, I'll be there. And Sam's going to give herself up, give herself yep. up to, to the bad guy. What did you think of the main bad guy here? I, well, not I, the main I, bad guy, just the, the bad guy who is who is her big bad in this film. I, I liked him a lot, actually. I, I did. I, I, mean, I thought he was good. I did too. They did some nice flourishes with him. I mean, we've seen this character before, but I thought he did a good job. When Sam gets to the diner, he's very, he says some things very point blank and very, it's it's almost mean, but it's almost matter of fact. And and there's this moment where Sam says, I'm sorry, I killed your son. I, I wish that hadn't happened. And he, and and the actor is so good. He's like, I really appreciate that you said that. I'm, I, I'm, and he seemed, and it seems sincere when he says it. Okay. The exchange between them is my favorite dialogue in the film. It works. It works. It when works he talks well. about, well, he talks about all the daughters and yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, audience. What he he basically talks about how he loves his daughters, but it was a really strange thing for him to be this. He didn't understand them. He was yeah. very kind of. You get the sense that he was a very old-fashioned guy. He didn't understand his daughters, but then he got this son, and that was a person that he could click with. And then she took him from her, yeah. from from him, yeah. and and for that he was going to do unimaginable things to her yeah. for that. And she almost seems resigned to that. Um, well, but but but, but uh, see that exchange. That's the closest that the film comes in dialogue form to something Tarantino would have done. Or something that would happen in John Wick. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, I think this scene's great. And But of course, the librarians and her mother aren't going to let this happen. Right. And they come and rescue her. And... I wanted to like this scene. Okay, I'm. We're gonna. I think we're gonna agree. Go. I wanted to really like this scene. It is slow motion. It is very reverential of John Wick and the gun yes. tradition. Yep. And, and and there are some there's some good beats in the scenes, but it doesn't work for me in part because I know who's influencing this director. I think I think I know who is influencing this director. Yeah. And and because of that, I'm as you said measuring this scene against masters. Right. And so. 
So it it seems too stilted. It doesn't have a lot. Because the whole scene is almost in slow motion. If you're going to do that, you have to figure out some way to import energy and surprise into the scene. But this is almost a minute of solid slow motion. I, I would bet, you know. And like I said, it's not that it, it wouldn't have been bad if I if I hadn't if I wasn't a prisoner to my own knowledge, right? But for me, it's almost too slow. It's not imaginative. Like if you're gonna do this, you have to ramp up the imaginativeness of the scene. Yeah. You've got to give me new ways that people get killed. You've got to be exciting. You've got to be. You've got to make me say, "Oh, I've never seen that before." Yeah, yeah. And and sadly for me, I was like, "Oh, I've seen that before. Oh, this is really slow." Okay, let's let's get to the denouement. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I really wanted to like this scene. It doesn't work for me as well as the end of this movie does. I I am in agreement. It took me it took me two watches of the scene yeah. to get to that though. Yeah. First time I watched it, I actually oh this is a this is a violent ballet. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of enjoying yeah. this. Then I watched it again, and I watched it very carefully, and I watched it with the same eyes of the guy me who had rewatched the bowling alley scene. Yeah. And when I rewatched the diner scene, the slow motion scene that Max is talking about. I didn't watch the gals. I watched the guys in the seats. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, if you re-watch it, what you will notice is that the girls are moving slow motion, but they're moving faster than the guys. Yeah. The guys who are about to attack the girls are moving slower than the girls, but faster than the other guys in the booths mm -hmm. who are moving much slower. So see, we have another problem here. Yeah. The problem of baddies waiting their turn Yep. until the fight scenes is over to attack. If you go back and you rewatch the scene, which I'm like you, I wanted to like it. The first time I did watch it, I did like it. Yep. And then I watched it again and I watched the choreography and it just doesn't work. But this would be an interesting moment to talk about the, the whole concept of slow motion action. This is something I think I think I want to say, and you might correct me, I think Akira Kurosawa was the first director to really use slow motion action action. Oh, I don't I don't know. Well, well, he did use it. Yeah. I'm not aware of anybody that did it before him. If you watch uh, Seven Samurai, mm -hmm. you know, a warrior or a villain or somebody will get stabbed and their fall to the ground will be in slow motion. Mm -hmm. Sam Peckinpah used this Sam in the Peckinpah. wild. In the wild yeah. Well, it, definitely in the wild bunch he used slow motion as as you know, and long-time uh listeners will know. I'm a big fan of Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks did not believe in slow motion action. He was very critical of Sam Peckinpah and because he was asked about the Wild Bunch and it's like what do you think of the Wild Bunch and he said well I, I, I didn't care much for it oh well, what, what didn't you like about it well I uh, I can get three in the morgue by the time he gets one to the ground and I see what he means Hawks believed in in, in quick cutting action where the where something happens in uh, before the audience even knows that it's happened and that is a very thrilling experience where I disagree with Hawks and we're not doing a review of the Wild Bunch but if you go back to the Wild Bunch. Wild Bunch is a very good mix of slow motion and fast cutting. You can find both in the Wild Bunch. It, it, it's, a, it's a superbly edited film. This film, and I think this is what you're getting at, this film would have benefited from a peck and paw touch of a yes. more of a mixture of fast cutting editing and occasional slow motion John Woo type. The John gun, Woo. The gun I, food that you're talking about. John Woo actually employed more of a Sam Peck and Paw touch yeah. uh, to, to, to give an example though of the Sam Peckinpah touch that works really well. For me, one of the great things about slow motion is that it sort of 
highlights that telescoping of time where anybody who's been in a car accident who's had a moment to see that they're about to get fucked up there's a moment where everything kind of slows down and you're like oh shit yeah and i get that yeah that's that's something that there's there is in john woo films very often in a wonderful scene in terminator 2 where the terminators meet for the first time and there's this poor schmuck between them and i think arnold schwarzenegger releases this shotgun from the box of roses it's all yeah. in slow motion yes. and he steps on it and yes. it's this moment for the for the audience and kind of sitting uh, with our surrogate, this, this poor schmuck uh, in between them. And it's this, oh shit. It's this moment where time telescopes. And like I said, Peckinpah did this, John Woo did this. And there are these little moments where you're like, things are about to happen. Yeah. And, and then following that slow moment is this furious, violent burst. Yes. And that's what should have happened here. When the guy looks at the mafioso guy, looks up to get his coffee, he should have seen Lena Headey withdrawing her her lever action rifle and it, right. that should have been in slow motion the rest of the scene should have been fast and violent and yeah. we as the audience would have been breathless afterwards we yeah. wouldn't have noticed any bad action like uh, like badly performed action i mean to say because the actresses and actors aren't necessarily uh, fighters or martial artists or combatants but it would have been really fast and like think of how little slow motion is in john wick yeah oh right, right. those fights are fast and furious and and the whole time we are trying to catch our breath because holy shit this was fast and, and scary uh, well john wick is is follows the howard hawks yeah, theory of action absolutely and boom, so, boom, boom, boom. yeah absolutely and so i think or think of that tarantino didn't use slow motion in reservoir dogs but there's this moment of standoff at the end yeah. uh, where they're all paused and then it's this fury of gunfire right where everybody springs into action at, at the end of the standoff uh at the end of the film. Sorry, audience. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Reservoir Dogs is 1990 something or other. So I hope I'm not revealing everything when I tell you everybody dies. 91. Yeah. 91. Yep. I didn't want to say because I wasn't sure. I mean, I've already admitted that I like Star Trek V. I didn't want to make any other mistakes <laughs> in this movie review. But I think that the film would have benefited a lot because there's a lot of drama in fast violence. Yeah. Like, that's the way it works in the real world. You know, it just seems like it took forever later on, right? I, I, I think what you're saying and i agree with you a mixture of those things is better absolutely absolutely yeah when you do too much of it you're watching a Zack snyder film and you've added an hour of, of <laughs> runtime because you've got so much slow motion this film isn't necessarily guilty of that but it is guilty of <laughs> sorry I've, I've i've done it again i am a really wonderful entertainer of my co-host <laughs> But but so imagine how impactful it would have been slow motion whipping out of the lever action forty five seventy rifle that Lena Headey prefers for some reason. Which let me let me tell you, audience, I love seeing a forty five seventy in yeah. film. I love that rifle; it shoots wonderfully. Almost anybody who makes one, it's a it's a get one. But and then fast action. But the film inverts the formula. She says something quippy, and then it's a minute a minute and twenty seconds of slow motion action, and it's just like ugh. Yeah, and and. It, like I said, it's not that there aren't some clever things that happen in the action beats, but because your eye, you've watched it the second time, because your eye has time to linger on the ancillary performers, yeah, you yeah. get to see some of the errors. But if if it had just happened really fast, you could see why some people didn't get up in time because these women just went, you know, beast mode and killed everybody, right? Right. So so this scene doesn't work as well for me as the the denouement where where Sam sends Emily to 
Nathan for a truce. And this is kind of funny, yeah. you know? And you get the sense that it's not Sam's sensibilities. It's not Scarlet's sensibilities. It's not the librarian's sensibilities that are driving this. It's Emily. Yeah. Emily understands that Sam killed her dad. Emily has yeah. already forgiven Sam. It yeah. was an accident. It wasn't intentional. She understands that Sam has- Tried to the, save him. Yeah, tried to save him. Spent the rest of the movie trying to save her. Yeah. Was willing to die for Emily. If the librarians and her mother hadn't shown up, Sam was willing to make the trade for Emily. Right. Sam is a is a really moral upright character, despite the fact that she is a serial killer of a sort. But but Paul Giamatti and the actress who play Emily are wonderful together in this scene. Yes. And Paul Giamatti is Paul Giamatti in the scene. The actress who plays Emily, they they have a like, Emily has a great chemistry with all of the other actors in this movie, and that that holds true for she and, and and Paul Giamatti and they come to a truce and and then our heroes ride off literally ride off into the sunset in their minivan and I, I, I uh, like the I like the close of the film did you have anything you want to add am I missing something I, I you know when I wa- when I watched it the second time and I, I didn't watch I didn't rewatch the scene the third time I thought I saw an Aston Martin outside of Nathan's home I get the sense that Nathan isn't hurting for cash yeah yeah I, I mean this is this is this is to the credit of the film I want to know more after this scene i want to know a lot more about nathan because he's, he's pretty he's pretty funny i mean he's pretty calm about the scene and and he he's a likable character yes. even though even though morally he's kind of in this he, he's kind of a villain mm-hmm. but we don't hate him because he's he's one of those guys that's just trying to do the job yep well this yeah. this is this is i mean there's no there's no morally upstanding characters in this film except emily and her dad i would agree with that but this is a cartoon version of point blank you know this is a cartoon version of john wick and so you know that that all that's okay i think this is no 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 all that's fine yeah Oh, that's fine. I like that. I like that that's what they were... I like that that's what he was trying to do. What we're... I I think what you and I are providing some some feedback or criticism to is the execution. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, so, and that's the, that's, that's the conclusion of the movie the librarians uh, Scarlett and Sam were the living librarians because Carla Gugino's uh, Florence or Madeline Madeline died I don't think she survived right correct which saddened me I like Carla Gugino but boy it pays off in the film I think that's a good scene when she reveals that they took Emily but and that's the film they, they ride off into the sunset I don't know where they're going I, I sort of like that they've gotten back together I want to see more of these characters you know so I, 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 I'm, I'm satisfied with the conclusion of the film were you I don't know if you were uh, yes I mean because we don't need to know where they're going. Mm-hmm. They're they're together. They're doing their comedic dialogue with each yeah. other. Which, this stuff works which, pretty well at the end. Yep. And they're now a team. Yeah. And it all ends well. Yeah. We cared about these characters. We I like the end. I, I like the ending of the. I, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, we've we've tossed out a lot of criticism. Yeah. But I cared enough about these characters that I that you I did care. You I, twice, I cared about the I, I, I cared about the times. end of the film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cared about the end. I I I wanted it to work out i'm 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 this way and that about this movie that's going to be a t-shirt for this podcast i think <laughs> I, I like that phrase i've actually i've uh, folks i've actually incorporated i'm this way and that in my life now because of jason 
And so I guess I guess that brings us to the verdict. Is there anything else you want to add to this? You want to talk about this? At all? I don't think so. I, I I actually think that I've I've mentioned almost everything I wanted yeah. to highlight. Yeah. Okay, so I'll let you go first with the verdict. All right. Um, I might edit Jason's verdict out if I don't like it. And the verdict. When it comes to gunpowder milkshake, I, I had a very interesting experience watching this film. When I watched it the first time, I had a, I had a hell of a lot of fun with it. Then I reflected on it and I wondered, well, you know, I had fun with it. Was it really good? And then I went back and I I watched I watched it again. Most of it, I I, I did fast forward through some things, but I kind of landed on the fact that even though this film has some really wonderful elements, the music is fantastic. The, the, the cinematography and the the visual elements are so gorgeous to look at and it has an all-star cast of performers that all of us love and they all perform exactly the way that you would want them to but i do think that this film uh, which is written and directed by nevot papuchado an israeli director very young director i think someone inexperienced he hasn't done a lot he wrote and directed this film shows a great deal of promise there are so many elements about this film that i want to praise but i think this film falls a little Sure. I didn't want it to, which is why when I first watched it, I thought, this is good. But upon reflection, many of the things Max and I have talked about during this episode, I, I don't think I can quite recommend this movie. It, it almost gets a passing grade. It's mediocre, fair, almost good. It's kind of, it, it, this movie is kind of in that middle area. But I really feel like that some of the elements that it needed to nail just don't work. There are some some pivotal scenes that, that, that the film does not land, that do not work. And the dialogue also, which I really relied on a lot to kind of provide me with an aesthetic uh, or to complete my aesthetic experience of this film, just really didn't work for me. So I would say if you like action films, if you like the, perform the performers that are in this movie, I wouldn't say stay away from it. I would say watch it because I did, I did enjoy it upon first view. I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll grow on me in the years to come. But really, when it comes down to it, enough of the elements of this movie just don't work that I can't quite recommend it. Now my turn, which will be the only verdict you'll hear this week on the on the podcast. No, um, <laughs> I I wonder if Jason and I aren't too much prisoners to our knowledge and appreciation of action. So my verdict is that I think mileage is going to vary a lot with this film. At, at Rotten Tomatoes, registered reviewers at Rotten Tomatoes are 63% and the audience is 51% approval of the film, I think. And that's that indicates to me that like people like either like this film a lot or they hate it. The critics' consensus from Rotten Tomatoes was, though it runs dangerously close to being a pure sugar rush with no substance, Gunpowder Milkshake is a brutal blast that will absorb audiences into its neon-infused universe. I couldn't go there at the end, but I, but I do see the point the critics consensus there makes and so I think if you're criticizing the movie and Jason and I because of the nature of this podcast have to be almost hypercritical we're, we're yeah. watching these films very critically right and so we've been really critical of 
Navot on, on this film. But I, 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 on the off chance that he ever fucking listens to this, I, I hope he doesn't take that the hard, the wrong way because because I, I think we do appreciate a lot of what he what he tries to do in this film. And so, I mean, this is a long way of me saying that I, I, I do agree with Jason that I think that this is a really uneven film from the quote unquote Aristotelian ideal of the action film. Would you say I'm was it was it was it was that a good use of Aristotle there, Jason? Yes, yes. Yeah. But I mean, if you just want kind of a fun way to spend a Saturday night eating popcorn and not thinking, you could do a lot worse than gunpowder milkshake. So I I, I wouldn't say to I, like Jason, I wouldn't say to avoid this film. Are there better action films out there? Absolutely, yes. But this film is cute in 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 the conclusion. I really enjoy the way these characters ride off into the sunset together. I mean, it's it's a cliche that's it. I mean, it's a cliche and they embrace it and it's kind of fun. It, I mean, like if you're looking for the wild bunch, this isn't it. And so as I was watching this, I was struggling with like, oh, it's uneven, but is that a, a cinema sin? And I mean, I suppose it is, but but it's not the worst thing you could do. And so obviously, as Jason said, if you like action movies, man, see this film. If you're not sure about action films, try something else first, but come back to this in a couple of years. And that's the verdict. Jason, what are we doing next week? Uh, we are going to continue our, our journey in to contemporary, uh, not cinema, but I guess pop culture. And we are going to dive into Kevin Smith's new Masters of the Universe Revelation cartoon series. And folks, I cannot tell you how much I am looking forward to this, in part because I want to punch a bunch of woke fanboys, not woke fanboys, but the anti-woke fanboys in the mouth as we discuss this. Uh, maybe telegraphing a little bit of what I think of those guys, but, but we'll get into why I hate fan culture generally also in the course yeah, of this yeah. series i can't wait to discuss this in the meantime share us with all your friends on all of the things that you can possibly share us on put us type up a little lost and found thing and put us on telephone poles with our with our <coughs> with our with our podcast information on them people can tear them off and look at it and find us on on telephone poles uh, share us on facebook <laughs> if you get a chance if you like us a lot get on itunes and share and give us a five-star review it does help us to get noticed jason doesn't have a uh, social media profile because he's a very smart person and has eschewed the terribleness of social media uh, i can be found on the supper test and of course you can reach us at lordmovies39 at gmail.com you motherfuckers never do that please try and do that jason would like to hear negative uh, comments about his his performance on these shows and so uh that's all i got guys bye-bye i think i got drunk and bought it on apple TV. I'm, I'm always on this i'm always on the hunt to find things that i can watch by myself because I'm in a pact with Jessica and Finn for other shows. You know, you can't watch this without us, you know, so. I've been waiting for oh. Split Sword, and they did it. Smells like burning pine. The tire just really hit me. <laughs>